right. Eric. Hey, buddy. Guess what? I'm just I'm just peachy keen and A-OK. Man, are you sick of me yet? I mean, I feel like we've been talking a lot to each other. At each other, to each other, however, however it pans out, I don't know. To each other. To each other. <laughs> teach i talk at my students right sure but we're talking to each other here yes we are yes we are so anyways everyone welcome to another installment of engage i'm the captain i'm captain chase mckinney and i am once again joined by um my my friend straight out of grand blank michigan commander eric what's up dude not much. Grand Blank, my hometown, the Big Nothing. The Big Nothing. That's what it stands for, right? <laughs> Grand Blank, Big Nothing. It's French. It really is. <laughs> it's French for, for Grand Blank. Yeah, it's French for Grand Blank. No, it's it's French for you know Big Nothing, Great Nothing, or Great White, depending on which yeah. tr- French yeah. translation you really want to go with. Yeah, but the more appropriate one would be Big Nothing. Yeah. Well, there we go. By the way. Um, the most recent episode of um, These Are the Voyages that dropped, um, people have really enjoyed the first te- first 15 minutes um, of, <laughs> of our conversation with boy bands, by the way. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's what we're here for. We're here to make people enjoy it. <laughs> like, if it takes talking about 90s boy band battles, that's what it takes. That's... That's exactly... Yeah, like if that's if that's what it takes, then absolutely, I'm I'm here for it. And um, speaking of boy bands and being straight out of somewhere, how about this? Eric and I were. Um, this is this is like my. That's like the theme song to my life. White and nerdy. <laughs> and there's the line later in the song. He goes, "My only decision is Kirk or Picard." <laughs> Absolutely. That's our. Um, that's our Star Trek connection for today. Yep. He even talks about getting himself a cup of Earl Grey. Absolutely. In that song. Yeah, Eric and I were talking about some some weird out um, prior to recording to today, and um, and and you were talking about like listening to um, the saga begins from the Running with Scissors album, which I think is probably one of, if not the most popular Weird Al song in recent history. I, w- I would hazard a guess at. Yeah, that's definitely. That's totally the my life, white and nerdy. (laughs) Oh man, there's a lot of good Weird Al songs, and we he's a legend. He's a legend. He's straight up amazing. Did you? There was a there was um, once upon a time there was a Weird Al uh, show. Did you ever watch the Weird Al show? I didn't even know that that was a thing that existed. Oh, well, now we know. Now I know. Now now, now you know. And knowing is, is half, half the battle. G.I. Joe. 
Oh, goodness. Goodness, guys. All right. Well, uh, we won't go through the full, uh, like, boy band experience like we did on the most recent episode of Views of the Voyages. And if you haven't listened to that, man, you are in for some real gold of conversation. Um, it's in the first 15 minutes of the show. Spoilers, I guess. Um, but check it out. You might enjoy it and let us know if you didn't or if you did. Just let us know something. Oh, man. So, you know, Eric, you and I, we have been visiting with each other a lot, whether it's with David or without him. And um, I just got to say, it's been fun. And uh, uh, just a quick little aside with that, like, you know, I'm always asking, like, how the heck you're doing? Dude, I woke up today with, like, the worst, like, crick in my neck and, like, neck pain. Like, gosh, it is, like, hurting. Neck pain is awful. True story. Like, you got to get your pillow in the exact right place and fluff it up the perfect amount and get it right at the perfect point. Dude, okay. So, you and I, we're both in our 30s, and I'm sure that there are folks out there in the 30-plus demo graphic that will probably um, totally be picking up when I'm laying down with this next statement. I really feel like when you get to your 30s, like, not 30, but like in your 30s, totally different, by the way. A year makes a total difference. (laughs) But I feel like once you're in your 30s and beyond... You have to like almost warm up to go to bed. Like you have to do like some stretches, some cardio or something to be like limbered up to be able to sleep. Well, I mean, I get enough of that like in the first hour when I lay down and just <laughs> tossing back and forth and all the moving. That's that's my warm up. Oh man. It's it's crazy though. It it's just, it's just crazy to me cuz like Normally, I'm a side sleeper, like either my left or my right. Like, nor- I think normally I'm on my right side when I sleep, and eventually, like, I hit a sweet spot and I somehow end up on my left side. But I'm noticing that, like, I can't sleep on my side as much anymore. Like, I just have to kind of just be like, I have to hot dog it up, man. I just have to like lay there flat. Yeah, I'm a I'm a back. Sl- I try to fall asleep on my back, but I always wake up on my stomach. Okay. Well, I can't sleep on my side. That hurts too much. And maybe that's part of my problem. Maybe <laughs> maybe I'm just I like sleeping on my side and you know, it's it's like eating spicy food. You know what it's going to do to you in your 30s and probably even beyond, but you're like, "No, it's totally worth it." And then totally the ne- worth it. and the next day, not worth it. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. All right. Well, what's what else besides, you know, spicy food and having to warm up for for uh going to bed is on your mind? <laughs> man, the semester's over for me. This we just got this week in finals and I'm free for like 5 weeks. So, what are you going to do with all that extra time? That those 5 weeks uh, well, that's a good question. I might uh, find some good movies to watch. Uh, 
there's some series in my playlist that I've I want to get to. Okay. Um, so you know, just take it easy. Enjoy my break. Okay. Okay. Any um, any particular movies or series that you want to watch? I mean, um, thinking about watching uh, the Man in the High Castle. Ooh, that's one Amazon. That's, my, that's that's one that's in my list. Um, uh, Undone is something that's in my list. It's also on Amazon Prime because that's all I have right now is Amazon Prime. I don't have Netflix anymore. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, if you want, if you want to watch anything like kind of like cheesy and dumb, just let me know, and I'm I'm a wealth of information when it comes to that. <laughs> All right. It's good <laughs> to know. I'm your Huckleberry, as they say. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. <laughs> All right, gang. Well, uh, I guess with that, uh, today we're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery season three, episode six. Yeah. Six. Isn't that crazy? We're on episode six. Yeah, uh, we're, we're halfway there. Wow. Halfway home. <laughs> Halfway there. I'm not even gonna try and hit that high falsetto. Anyway, nope. not gonna happen. Not nope. gonna happen, gang. Um, Scavengers is the name of this episode, and um, this was a very interesting episode. And this will be a very interesting um, bit of uh, conversation to be had. And um, one thing that I do want to mention. Before we really get into we we get down to the the nitty gritty and, and talk about you know like just the general story and kind of like what worked what didn't work for us and like like you know just the normal process that we go through with our engage episodes something kind of cool happened recently I think it's cool you wanna you wanna hear about this Eric I do okay so. There is a new character um, that we meet this week on um, on, Star Trek, on Star Trek Discovery, um, an Andorian by the name of Rin. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, the actor that played Rin, um, his name is Noah, and his last name is escaping me right now, um, considering I only have his Twitter pulled up right now, but... His uh, Twitter is at N underscore A underscore K. Plays Rin on Star Trek Discovery. Husband of um, Mary Wiseman. Husband of Tilly, basically. Anyway, he followed us on Twitter. Oh, really? Yeah. So That's cool. I thought that was pretty cool. So, you know, I think some of the the people that we've, we've had, like from Star Trek you know, celebrity status, right, have been um, Echeb. We've had Rin now with Discovery. And, of course, we have um, Hanel Hanel Culpepper, who has directed, you know, Discovery and Picard. So um, I'm pretty happy about that. I think that's pretty cool. That I think that's pretty cool, too. That uh, Noah um, gave us a follow. And uh, the thing about Noah is he has been a Trek fan his entire life. In fact, if you go... Eric, I know you don't have it, have Twitter, but you can like go 
to Twitter and look it up if you want to. Um, but on his thing, he has a like a little montage of like some some of like like some fan photos of him dressed up in Star Trek garb. He's been a lifelong Trek fan. Um, gone to like conventions and stuff like that. So this was truly a dream come true for him showing up on this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. So I think that's pretty cool. Stories like that are always cool when you get like big fans who get a chance to to act or be a part of their fandom. Right. And I think of I think of um, Seth MacFarlane as one, right? Because he showed up um, as I think it was an engineering uh, crewman on Star Trek Enterprise. So he did. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, multiple times, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. So I mean, I think he's in like at least maybe three episodes of, of Star Trek Enterprise. But yeah, it, it's so cool whenever you you have like a fan that crosses over and actually gets to be part of the bigger world, the bigger future of Star Trek. So uh, shout out to you, Noah. Uh, again, thank you for, for the follow and um, get showing us a little love on Twitter. Um, you're always welcome to sit down and talk with us if you ever want to do that, by the way. The, the invitation, the door is always open, my man, if you're listening to us. You laughing at me, nice. Eric? You laughing at me? I'm not me? laughing at you. I'm I'm smiling because that's cool. <laughs> okay. So, um, anyway, episode six. So, yeah, we are um, six episodes in of 13 on Star Trek Discovery. And um, here in just a few short days, we'll be, again, starting this whole thing all over again uh, when we talk about that next episode. But before we get there, we should probably talk about this episode instead of the next one so yes we should talk about this episode. let's talk about this episode now before we get into this um, i know we've been rambling and having a good time so far and you know talking about the love that ren has shown us but um this is not a spoiler free um show if this is your first time listening to an engage episode what we do is we just have a conversation about the, the uh, current star trek that's airing you know as it's coming out basically so we just talk generally about the episode and then we start to talk about eventually like you know what worked maybe what didn't work for us and kind of stuff in between at, at, at the end of this we'll also give it like an episode rating so with that um, let's get into it um, yeah let, let's let's get into this so we we have like of course like the quick little recap of like Storylines and episodes that are, like kind of have happened before this that might connect into it, like most most of them do. And what we have is we have Saru who's at this captain's meeting with um, Admiral Vance and a slew of other captains. And from there, um, we're learning about how um, the Discovery is now this rapid response ship because it can do things that other ships can't do as a result of the burn, which we still don't know what the bur- the burn is. We just keep kicking the can down the road, and it'll eventually pay off, basically. Ho- hopefully, hopefully. Hopefully it'll pay off this season, and we'll get some clarity on it. Whether we get full clarity is a completely different story, but at least more would be great. Um, and, yeah, and, and that's kind of... Am I missing anything from like that just general opening? Well, uh, the idea is that now the discovery is 
has to be kept a secret, the spore drive. Mm-hmm. Or I don't even think Admiral Vance tells them what it is. He just says they have the ability to get places quicker than everybody else and that doesn't that information doesn't leave this room because if anyone found out, then it would become a big target. Yeah. That's a true story. And then, and then I think that they're trying to set us up for. They've been mentioning the the emerald chain, right? Plays a big role, and he, he specifically mentions it at the beginning. And it's almost like the feder the federation and Starfleet and the emerald chain are almost equals now. It seems like. That's what it sounds like. In yeah. terms of like their 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 power, their power and their influence and their their spheres of control, I guess. Mm-hmm. As we're going around the room, like we're seeing, like we're seeing the different uniforms, of course, and I mean, this is immediately following uh, the discovery being brought back into the fold um, of of Starfleet uh, in this time in this time frame, I should say. And you know, they got the new badges; they have these new Tricom badges, and like we're learning how they work in the next couple scenes and stuff. But the thing that I find kind of peculiar about this and is you got a new badge, but we're still staying in 23rd century uniforms and not wearing the current uniforms. So I'm, I'm wondering if that's kind of like intended to be like a juxtaposition, like like you, we are not, we are truly fish out of water type of thing. And, you know, we are old school and maybe that's what we need type of thing. It's like a reminder of our past. Yeah. It, what do you think of that? It's interesting because the ship undergoes this complete refit where they put all this programmable matter into it and they redesign all the consoles and they give it the detached nacelles and they even rename it the NCC-1031A. Right. Right? And and they're just saying, okay, we have to bring you into the fold and bring you into the, the 30th century, the 31st century, and do all this stuff. But yeah, but then... Why not give them new uniforms? Why keep them in these old uniforms? It, it was really strange to see that. Yeah, and like looking back, you know, and I don't, I don't want to get bogged down in it because it's like, you know, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Like it's it it just it is what it is, and like I think back to, um, what was it like? Let's look at like the the motion picture for example. Okay, um, it's the same. Enterprise, so to speak, but it's been refit. Like it's still like the NCC seventeen oh one. Okay, it's just got shiny new stuff in it. Okay, it's got new tech inside. It got a new layout, but it's still the same ship. And you know, at the end of what is it, uh, Voyage Home? I think that's when uh, Captain Kirk and company they get the seventeen oh one. A, because of what happened in the prior um, adventures, right? Like leading up to how the, how Voyage Home concludes. Totally different ship. Yeah. I mean, it's still a Constitution class, but it's not the Enterprise. It's just been redesignated the Enterprise. So, like, I think we even see in... Um, I don't think it's like straight up refit, but I'm thinking of... Um, there's like a handful of episodes in next gen, for example, where there are upgrades that are made to the thing and it's still the enterprise D. So like I, again, 
I don't think it matters that much, but I just don't understand why or the rationale behind just, you know, it gets a, sh a new paint job and like some new console stuff, but we're calling it the A. The yeah, 1031 yeah, Alpha it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, because it is the same ship, right? It's not a different ship. And ships always undergo upgrades. That's right. just something that happens as new technology comes out. I think, I mean, I mean, I think this is um, not that big of an issue for me. Okay, it's called the Discovery, the Discovery A now instead of the Discovery, but mm -hmm. no big deal. One thing um, that happened early on, and it's still in like the captain's meeting, mm -hmm. um, that I wanted to point out, and maybe you noticed it because you have an eagle eye with with stuff, but um, I am wondering if our our homies noticed this at all. Let me see if I can find it. Here we go. Oh. Well, anyway. Does, do you not really not want to work for me? Okay, are you seeing this? I am seeing that. Is that a Cardassian? That is 100% a Cardassian. Okay, I did not notice that during the, the episode. Yep, that is a Cardassian, my man. Okay, so the Cardassians are part of the Federation now? They're... That actually... That, well, that makes sense because, you know, after the events of the Dominion War, you know, mm -hmm. it would make... It, even if they're not part of the Federation, you could still see Cardassians become Starfleet officers. Yeah. I mean, whether whether they're actual Federation citizens and stuff, like... And, I mean, we've seen non-members be able to be in Starfleet. I mean, case in point with, you know, Worf and Nog. And Rolaren. And Rolaren, absolutely, as a Bajoran. Um, those are like the three biggest examples that we can point to. So, may, I mean, it's been 930 years, for crying out loud, since they left the 23rd century, and it was roughly 80 to 90 some odd years on until we really first meet the Cardassians. So, you know you know 800 let's just call it 850 years um since we met them and here they are and this is i mean by all accounts this is a captain's meeting so i'm assuming this is a cardassian captain of yeah. some kind i mean they're you know cardassians are proud people so to a certain extent you'd think that they would just want to rebuild themselves and stay stay on their own but they their society was devastated after the dominion war so it makes sense that yeah. with the federation to help build them back up they would perhaps see some, at least some people join starfleet mm -hmm. if not join the federation completely oh yeah yeah and it and y'all can't y'all um, out there listening i mean i'm like showing eric this picture and um, I, I actually posted this picture on Twitter so you can see what we're we're talking about. Um, but this is a this is also a female Cardassian. I mean, so a female Cardassian captain, which I think is kind of cool too because I don't think female Cardassians got the same amount of respect uh, last time we saw them in Deep Space Nine. 
Well, I think I think one of the points Deep Space Nine tried to make is that um, basically most of the military was was male, but then you saw almost all of like the engineers and the scientists were female. Mm-hmm. And then you had a lot of Obsidian Order agents that were also female as well. Yeah. But like looking at this picture, like we're seeing like the command red standing around the table minus Saru. We have the operations slash um, security gold standing in the doorway. And off to the left of this image is, it looks like a Vulcan haircut. Unless the dude just likes a bowl cut um, in a blue science uniform. It's either science or medical. Depending. Yeah, it definitely does look like a Vulcan in the background. Right, and I've been I've been kind of curious about where are the Vulcans because I, mean, I realize we can't see everyone at once, but like for crying out loud, like the opening sequence, we have the Itic symbol. Um, so like I'm expecting the Vulcans to play some kind of substantial well, role. I would expect that to be the next episode, just based on the title of it. Right, which we will get to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, I just wanted to point this out. Like we got, we have Cardassians. Uh, we got Andorians. We got Cardassians um, here in the 32nd century. So more uh, legacy species essentially showing up. Uh, so I thought you'd find that interesting, at least. Yeah. So, so there was one thing that I, I did want to say about like the opening scene yeah. and um, and upgrading our technology. Um, you know, whenever you make changes to your ship, there's always going to be people that are going to, like, make push back. Like, don't change the ship. Don't, like, I'm sure when the movies changed the Enterprise from what it looked like in the television show, there were probably people that were a tad bit upset about that. And if you watch in Star Trek Generations, the bridge looks different in the movie than it does in, in the show, the Enterprise D. There's, like, extra, like, stations along the ramp up mm-hmm. behind the captain's chair. Right. And people I don't know if people were reacting to that in any negative way, but but there's this one scene where Detmer is like, "Do we really need all this stuff?" <laughs> and yeah. and Bryce is like, "Hell yeah, we do." <laughs> and I just imagine like those there's going to be two camps of of people out there there's going to be the people out there that are like the detmers do we really need all this like can we do we have to change the ship right and they're going to be the other people that are like hell yeah like yeah. new fancy shiny stuff yeah man i love me some new fancy shiny stuff nothing wrong with that um, i just thought that was really funny i was like hell yeah we need all this <laughs> <laughs> well and and i have some questions about and I don't know if now is like the right time to bring I'm just going to bring it up cuz why the heck not. But we know that the discovery is the the hope for the future of the fleet at this point because they're the ones that can still explore there roughly speaking compared to the rest of the fleet because they can travel instantaneously anywhere as long as there's like star charts and they can kind of guesstimate where stuff is. But knowing that the Discovery is the ship that can do the things that the rest of the fleet can't, does it seem like a... I'm not, I'm not trying to poke holes. I'm, just, I'm genuinely curious. Is it a good idea to start dissecting and rebuilding of sorts the Discovery when we're not too sure how much programmable matter, et cetera, et cetera, 
can impact the functionality of the spore drive and the things that made them do the things that they could do. That's a pretty fair point. Like, let's, let's not do a complete up retrofit before we figure out, you know, what the issues are. I mean, it's possible they did that because I think this episode takes place three weeks after the last episode. Yeah. I mean, he says that. He says that. Saru in his opening captain's log mm-hmm. that it's been some pot. They possibly did some testing that you know we just didn't need to see that. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's, I think it's a fair question. I mean, like, sure. Like we can have detachable nacelles. Okay. That's fine. But how does, not that we're like too focused on aerodynamics cause that doesn't really matter in space, but like what role does detachable nacelles play in the spore drive functionality? Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. If, if we're only going to use discovery as a rapid response for the spore drive, like, do we really need detached nacelles? Because the nacelles don't play any part in the spore drive. They just play a part in the warp drive. That's right. And if you're not planning on using the discovery for warp drive, why even bother to do the whole detached nacelles thing? Right. I mean, unless, I mean, we, we see it later on in this episode, like the role of like being able to like manipulate, um, like the tech of a ship essentially for maneuverability. So like I can give it to them um, on that. Like maybe that will be important. Uh, but, but yeah, like just what we know about uh, warp core design and like, you know, what Zephram Cochran did and what we, what we've seen throughout, like we know like that it's a matter antimatter uh, kind of reaction thing that's going on with like dilithium and that's what's helping with propelling through space because there is no gravity and you have to have a means of propelling. So anyway, anyway, we're, we're getting in the weeds and um, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to leave it here. I'm going to hit the pause button, put a pin in it and just be like, I'm interested to see how this new functionality, right? How the A and how the detached nacelles plays. And if we are going to see hiccups with Spore, the spore drive and being able to jump with these detached nacelles. So I'm just going to say that. Especially because if we, if we just one one more thing we could see that point. Especially because they've not just made changes to the ship now, but they've actually made changes to the spore drive control center, right? Because we see that they take out the little pokey things mm-hmm. that that Stamets puts into him, and just, they just get these little like gel things that he sticks his hands into now Mm -hmm. and and they took out the interface things from Stamets arms too so is all of this stuff going to is there going to be some issue that happens later on with all of these changes that have been made right yeah fair question absolutely So yeah, with with you know we have like the new tech like that's the thing that's like really showing up a lot in this episode, especially in the beginning. 
you know, we're, like you're saying, we have like the neuro gel, hair gel, pool thing for steering the stuff um, that Adira took it upon herself to just completely rebuild, which is cool, which, I guess. Which, 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 which seems very strange that like somebody who's really not a part of the, the, the crew, right? I mean, I don't know how Adira fits into the command structure of this crew, but for her to just on her own make a huge change to the spore drive without actually seeking the approval of the spore drive guy, the like the person in charge of it, seems like a not a very smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like what role is the programmable matter going to play? with the different consoles on the bridge too. Um, like, I think that thing was like nice, like, okay, we got the talk about like, hey, this gesture does this, this gesture does that for like your Tricom badge now that you got. Um, and um, Awusakun and Detmer and the rest, of, the rest of the squad, they're like, wait, 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 hold on. What happened to my, my stuff? Like, oh, well it's, you can basically you know, program it however the heck you want to, it's going to respond to your own gestures and like whatever you input into it, which that's kind of cool. That kind of reminds me of playing video games. Like if I don't like the button layout, I can just change the button layout uh, whenever I play a game. So I like that, but at the same time, like how is that going to, we're, we're, we might be getting ahead of ourselves like with the rest of the show, but like, and maybe it's not an issue. Maybe just a, it's a cigar is just a cigar, but like, they're they are so used to hitting buttons you know how are gestures going to play a role in steering the ship right yeah like with if, Detmer. It, if it comes to like the heat of battle is this new interface going to like cause some problems mm -hmm. if they're not properly properly tested with it and and they if they don't properly know it as well as the old consoles mm-hmm I, I think back to um, the beginning of, well, really the end of Generations, which we just talked about, honestly, on the last, um, one of the last episodes. And so we talked about that and, um, of course, First Contact. So the Enterprise goes down. Boom. Big, big boom for the big, Enterprise. Big bada boom. Big bada boom. <laughs> <laughs> So it's it, it's kaput, okay. So the the whole whole team gets like they're kind of like in limbo of like where they're gonna go, and they eventually all land on the seventeen oh one E, which we which were entered. One person does it. Okay. Min minus Worf. Okay, um, kind of. <laughs> he shows up because the plot demands it, uh, pretty much, but. So we, we get onto the 1701E, and they have been on this shakedown cruise for quite a while. Like, for talking a about... A year, yeah. I think Jory says. They've, they've had a lot of shakedown time of, uh, um, like, trying to get used to the systems and things like that. And that the, the Sovereign class was strictly designed, like, was mainly designed to combat the Borg. Um, it, it, like, the research for it had started well in advance. And both the sovereign class and um, oh my goodness. Well, anyways, the sovereign class was def definitely 
uh, designed for that, and they had plenty of time to shake down. But yet, here in Discovery, bringing it back to the show, they're intended to be rapid response. They got new consoles. They're 930 years in the future. Let's tweak all the things. Are we besides three weeks? Are we really going to be giving them more shakedown time? No, I mean it's all it's all good points. Yeah. So. Okay. S- save me, Eric, because I could probably stay on this part okay, for a, for a so, while. So, so Michael Burnham, our main character. This is a, definitely a Michael Burnham episode. You lie. Um. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, book ship shows up with this message, three week old message that, you know, book has basically found this black box that's gonna help them figure out what caused the burn and uh book is basically in trouble and michael burnham says i'm in love with book i have to we have to go help him she doesn't say i'm in love with him but like we know she is so she totally is and um and saru is like we can't go after him right now because we're on we're on call we're on standby the admiral needs us to like be ready to go just solve a dispute with the emerald chain Mm -hmm. and she's like oh that's okay i can be back in time she's like no he's not saying we need to be ready in 12 hours we need to be on call and she's like aghast like how dare you say no to me like how dare you like no one (laughs) says no to me i'm michael burnham you have to do what I say and you have to do what I want. And and even if you tell me no, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway because I'm Michael Burnham. <laughs> and like not even for one second does she consider obeying orders here. Not for one second. You know what you just reminded me of, Eric? What? Do you remember? I think it was in high school. It was um, when X-Men was coming out. Uh, it was before X-Men. But it was like the gif or the meme, like, I'm the juggernaut! Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know who I am? <laughs> it's like, Michael Burnham, like, you are a Starfleet officer. There is a chain of command. You should follow the chain of command and not just she as she says, I'd rather um what's her line? She says, I'd rather get in trouble for something I did than something I didn't do, or I'd rather mm-hmm. regret something I did mm-hmm. than something I didn't do. And sh- then she enlists, you know, Emperor Giorgio to go on this half baked rescue mission to solve book. To yeah. save book. Yeah. Which Okay, so I feel like this. So this this episode was like I think forty nine fifty minutes, thereabouts. But like thirty three minutes of it was like going and saving book. Like it was the it was going to the planet to you know see what's going on to rescue him and do the thing. And then, like, the rest of it, I just felt like it was just kind of like, oh, we got to fill time, if I'm being honest. Yeah, but, I, and, and you know, 
you don't have to fill it up to 50 minutes. You could fill it up to 42, 43, 44. True story. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, you're right. Some of this, some of this stuff did feel like, oh, we don't want to have a Mandalorian-length episode, so we need to add all this extra stuff in there. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. You, you, you I mean, those correct. episodes are only like 30, 35 minutes. Yeah. And for anyone that is a Star Wars fan as well as a Star Trek fan, um, Mando has been a little bit longer this year. Just a little bit, not much. Uh, okay. So, of all the people that she talks to, I mean, it makes sense, but. She's like, "Hey, Philippa, you wanna you wanna go do this? You wanna go, you know, help me go against orders, basically, and help me save my save my man." Yeah, and, and Philippa's like, "Oh, please, you had me at dangerous mission or or off the book mission or whatever." Mm-hmm. Unsanctioned like, mission, yeah. Unsanctioned mission, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, but but it's interesting there how how George you says, like. You're putting your captain in a really bad spot here. Like, and by not following orders, there's going to be consequences. And you've been down this path before. Like, this is the exact same thing you did before that caused your Philippa Georgiou to die. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And it's like, the irony is not lost on me here. And I think this is totally on purpose that. Emperor Georgiou is trying to remind Michael that Captain Georgiou was killed by this same the same reckless behavior of yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which this goes back to like reason number 437 why Michael Burnham cannot be captain. Yeah, yeah. I will say that every week that it continues to be true she is not a captain material. She's not ca- captain material at all. No. Maybe in the Terran Empire. <laughs> but not here. But but I guess one thing that um I, and we're we're jumping ahead here. I'll jump ahead here. Yeah. How how when they get back um and Admiral Vance tries to give her a scolding, he also kind of gives Saru a scolding too because he says you know, I might have authorized. So apparently, Saru didn't even go to Admiral Vance with any of this at the beginning, and Admiral Vance is like, "Well, listen, if you had come to me and told me about this situation, I might have authorized a mission to to find this intelligence here." Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like scolding Saru at the same point. Mm-hmm. And um, shoot, I lost my point by talking about Saru. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. What was I saying? Um, wow. Okay. That. Wow. That's a thing. I just I just lost my point. Of of you know, Saru getting getting a stern talking to, with um, with Admiral Vance following, not even sharing this mission, this this trip of of Michael going to save Book, but also trying to get a black box, which is part of the motivation behind going to the planet. Right, but I was going to talk about how um, something to do with Michael, not Saru. 
It's okay. Just if you think about it. Yeah, I'll, if we think about it, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. It's fine. If it's wow. like three episodes from now, we'll get to it. It's fine. Oh my god, I can't believe that happened. It's okay. Just go to a hollow suite. You know, play some Dabo. You'll be good. I'm going to be thinking about it the whole this whole discussion. It's okay. It's okay. If like once once it percolates and you're like, "Ah, I got it." Then yeah, just, okay. Just do it. Okay. All right. So, do you want you want to talk about the Running Man in the 32nd century? Yeah, it was totally the Running Man. 100% the Running Man. It was like you didn't even try to disguise it. <laughs> like there was literally a man that was running, being shot at. Being shot and at. And he ran through a perimeter defense, and he got his head blown off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean. Okay, so. We, we beam. We 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 arrive there. We've take. Okay, so let's back up for a second. So, what what's happened? Uh, I think we've missed a few steps. Um, is book ship shows up? Um, it's been programmed to to basically get to where Michael is essentially, and um, there's this holo, um, holographic message that's been left saying, "Hey, this is what's up." Grudge is on the on um, book ship, and that's the motivation of like, hey, there's, I've been following this black box thing. I've been kind of doing this thing that I know means a lot to you. Um, so if I go missing, this is basically what's up. Um, no, no, outright saying come rescue me. Just like, hey, this is where I'm at. This is what I was up to, type of thing. And Michael takes it upon herself to go and do the thing to try and and rescue him, and that's fine and dandy, I suppose. Um, so we we have book ship, and that's the thing that we're taking to go and find him. And we're using a reverse cat collar to find him. Yep. Like a reverse find my pet. Now it's <laughs> find my book. Yep, that's exactly what they do. And it's it's uh, Michael and Georgiou on a secret off-book mission. Absolutely, absolutely. So we end up at this scavenger plant. Do you remember the name of it by chance? Uh, it's like Hunau or yeah, Hunau or something. That like sounds that. right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we are met by a um, an Orion with kind of like an emo attitude. Yeah, Orion's never had hair before. This is like, I mean, there's been changes to all aliens that and that discovery is made, but seeing Orions with hair just throws me off. Orions with hair. Well, yeah. okay. They, ne- they never had hair before. I mean, I, I guess I'm thinking of like Orion slave girls. Like they got okay, hair. Okay, yeah, but Orion men never had no. hair. They were always bald. Right. So yeah, it's it's kind of weird. But I mean, hey, we're 900 some odd years in the future, man. People yeah. can grow hair in 900 years. I know they can. I Get some hair can. follicle stimulation going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Michael Michael got some hair follicle in a year. Stimulation. That in a year. Grew a lot of hair in a year. <laughs> yep. Um. Or she just, you know, replicated some extensions, one of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, dude's being a bully, and you know Michelle Yeoh was just, like, eating this stuff up with her character. Like, with being able to, like, just ham it up as, as like, her, her empress shtick all over again. All over again. And we see... Uh, we saw an old phaser 
yeah, but like, Type Two phaser show up in a junk why, pile. But, but this is this is a TNG era phaser. Presumably, Philippa Georgia doesn't know anything about that type of phaser. How would she? Was she just bluffing there when she talked about it? Because mm-hmm. all all of her knowledge of the Federation would be you know twenty third century, not twenty fourth century. Right, which would have looked more like a gun, like a ray gun, than it mm-hmm. would have been like a freaking electric razor, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it was the, um, I think it was a type two phaser that we saw. It was the, um, I think it was the serpent style one, which I think showed up more in, I think that was like late DS nine and like the movies. I think definitely like had shown up by the time insurrection and nemesis had come out. I'm pretty sure. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, like, um, I was so fun, fun thing. I was, again, I was looking at Noah's. Um, Twitter page and by the way Noah I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name but Noah um, Averbach Katz um, I'm looking at his acting resume right now and he's got like the props that they were using for this I think are just hilarious for how they were filling up um, like the bins like hold on Eric you will you might enjoy this ready for this okay. so yeah, I'm ready so you see this? <laughs> it's a guitar hero. It's a guitar hero. Oh man! And we got like an old remote of some kind. I don't even know what that remote is. That man, that it says VCR and DVD on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's got to be old. Um, I'm just wondering if they. I mean, there he is. Um, in his in his hair and makeup, holding the guitar hero. That's crazy. I'm just. <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> Do you think they went? Okay, I'm just. Go, I'm going there for a second. Do you think they just went and they're like, "Goodwill, we're buying everything. <laughs> we're gonna buy the store. <laughs> Where's the nearest well, Goodwill warehouse? We want all the things." Well, there are like things that are called prop stores, aren't there? Like for movies and film studios to go to oh yeah buy stuff like oh yeah prop store yeah but like why i mean why do that i mean like sure you're gonna have like a warehouse full of stuff but like you can like like there's there's a goodwill not too far from where i live and you can buy it by like a, i think like 50 cents to the pound or something like that so or a nickel to the pound like why not they got the yeah. budget like just oh, go buy yeah. the warehouse yeah. Have all the toys me, you want. Give me that bin and that <laughs> bin right there. Just load them up. I want more of that. I, I got the truck outside. <laughs> more of that. Just <laughs> ring me up, man. Put them on tab. Oh, shoot. Okay. So lots of toys. And we're just wandering around. And again, we get like the whole the dude who's hanging out with Book. And he's the running man. Right? He's... He's the guy that gets picked on and stuff because he's, um, what was it? He stole or he was stole trying to, oh, a, a water, water ration. ration. Yeah, he was trying yeah. to get some water, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. Which, Rin, who's this Andorian um, that we've been kind of talking about, I mean, he's kind of sympathetic to all these workers. So, like, that's kind of like what I'm I'm gathering based yeah, on like, his demeanor. He was He was being punished by the person who runs this place because he was sympathetic and tried to help some of the people there. Mm-hmm. And 
and he got his antennas cut off, mm-hmm. which those grow back. They right? do. It's clearly established in Star Trek that antennas grow back, and this guy's better grow back. If he's, if they are changing this and saying, nope, your antennas will never grow back, that would be just wrong. Right, because like even at the long end, it takes nine months for your, your antenna to grow back. Uh, and I would assume that and that was... That was Shran was saying that in the the you know the twenty second century. Mm-hmm. You know, here now we're in the thirty first century, so you would assume that with medical technology you could try and stimulate it and make them grow back faster. And that's what I'm wondering because, well, okay, we're we're jumping all over the place anyways. Like with him and with what happens later on. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was there had been some kind of something to be able to stimulate that, or maybe like you're cutting off like half or a third of the time that it takes to to heal and to grow back. You know, I would expect it because like the antennae, and for anyone that watched um, the Ready Room, and if you if you haven't, I encourage you to. Like, there's some some fun conversations that happen on the Ready Room, and one of the quiz um, questions uh, for the Ready Room with this week's episode of Discovery was, you know, what's the purpose of of the antennae and it's for balance balance yeah Yeah. um so i didn't see him staggering around but i think that would have been a nice touch if um if they would have done that yeah (sighs) so anyway they they Georgia and michael are walking through this junkyard they're bluffing their way into it and they come across Book, who Book is like, what are you doing here? I, I didn't, I sent a passive, passive message to you telling you don't come and save me because I can get myself out of here. And it was, and she's like, no, it was more like passive aggressive. I wasn't passive aggressive. No, I, me coming here is the aggressive part. <laughs> <laughs> so. And they basically come up with a plan where they're going to stage a prison break, essentially. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But they need to buy some time. Right. And Book essentially creates a pipe bomb, is really what happens. And we escape, and we fight our way out, and we have to we have to disable the, um, the, the perimeter, right? Like, we the have perimeter, to... The perimeter shield. Right. Yeah. So that we don't get decapitated because we have some some quarters up up in our neck that'll make us go boom. Um. But then, yeah, um, when we're trying to de- deactivate this perimeter fence, Philippa starts <coughs> having these strange flashes and they are debilitating and she she can't act. So, <clears throat> what I was wondering and I mean I don't know if it if if that's if this is what it is but wasn't oh my goodness I'm getting lost on something um I'm wondering if like part of of these like convulsions these flashbacks that she's having like that we've seen so far um if it's like some kind of like tragic like killing that she did um 
Because like we see blood on her hands, and I don't think it's Lorca. I don't think they would reuse footage or anything like that. But well, I was well, thinking Lorca, like partly. Actually, if if you there there are two scenes that caught my eye from these flashbacks. One of them actually was a scene of Lorca falling into like the big giant spore mycelial thing when he died. And I thought that was like, please don't bring back Lorca into this story or somehow did that. Like we seen that the mycelial network has this strange connection with time. Like did somehow that, you know, thing that the Terran Empire built, did that somehow lead to the burn being the burn? Is that gonna play a role in it? Please don't do that. I would hate that. That would be a bad story for me. But you definitely see Lorca falling into it in one of her flashes. Yeah. And then another flash where she where like she's got the blood on her hands. I I swear it's the red angel suit. We see a person like lying on the ground and they're wearing some kind of helmet and suit. I swear it's the Red Angel suit. Oh, really? It it totally looks like the Red Angel suit to me. Huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, there. I mean, there is precedent for resurrections, you know, with with the mycelial network. I mean, case in point with Hugh Colbert. Um. And I mean, he did fall all up in there. So I mean. I don't know what's going to happen. Like we, this could be like a total red herring for us, you know, um, to throw us off the scent of like what's really going on with her. Um, but I mean, for crying out loud, we're we're you know moving into the back half of of this of this show. So we, I, I'm hoping we find out in the next two or three episodes at least, and not you know have exposition dump on what the heck is going on with Georgiou. Um, yeah. On like episode 11 and 12 you know yeah it, it comes gradually yeah uh, and, and I gotta say all of these things were absolutely caused by um, by our section 31 dude that we're all pretty sure he's you know there, the more of that interview scene that we didn't see last week right the, the David Cronenberg character uh huh which I wish I knew his his character name. Have we have we? Kovix. Co- Co- Was it Kovix? Yeah, Kovix. Oh yeah, there it is. Okay. Okay. okay what? Um, yeah, definitely Kovix. Okay. So I. In this in this prison break, um, Rin gets hurt, and we don't think that he's gonna make it. Um, and at the last second, Michael Burnham comes in to save the day, shooting the pew pews at the bad folks. Yep, with in book ship. In book ship, yeah. And the the prisoners are able to escape. Um, onto one ship and um, Michael and Philippa, Wren and Book all get onto the Book ship and she, I mean I, I know that they were you know trying to cause, like make it difficult for, for the um, 
Emerald Chain and like the folks on that planet to be able to follow him. But I thought it was just a little unnecessary. I'm just going going there for a second. I thought it was a little unnecessary to blow a ship up and destroy the entire facility. Yes, yeah. slavery yes, slavery is bad. Hundred percent deplorable. Okay, period. But just blowing up a ship to destroy all the things. I, I don't know, man. That just kind of sat wrong with me. It yeah, landed. It I landed mean, weird. It, it landed weird, but it fits with with George's character. It does um, yes. I'm I'm the Terran Empire, and I am just going to destroy everything that is in my path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Well. Well, that's that's the prison breaks the run, prison break running man scene. Yes, it is, indeed. Yep. Um, and then and, the, and like I said, good. No, that's that's our a plot, and that's like basically all of this episode, and the rest is padding it out. Yeah, and th- we just have like these like tiny little vignettes of sorts, just kind of and, like spread out for like the last and, fifteen and, minutes. And the one, the one that is interesting to me is the conversation that Saru and Tilly have. I, I really enjoy this conversation here because this is character development right here between these two. And and one thing that's been lacking through a lot of Discovery, I feel like, is some is some good character development moments. And when Saru lays out this scene, this to Tilly, she's like, "You have to tell the Admiral. You have no choice because if." If he finds out and you're not the one to tell him, then that looks bad on all of us. And Sue's like, "Wow, that's very mature of you. I expected you to try and talk me out of this." Right. And and, and he's like, uh, and Sue's like, "Yeah, I'm surprised that I'm saying this too. I, uh, where is this coming from?" And like, this is Tilly is not being the middling and annoying Tilly that she was in season one. Yeah. She's like, being a mature Starfleet officer. Now. She's being an ensign, not yeah. not silly Tilly, mm-hmm. which I liked. I liked that. Yeah, and and then she says, for the record, I might have done the same thing as Michael. And Screw's like, No, you wouldn't. I don't think you would have. <laughs> <laughs> no, you wouldn't have. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> not by a long shot, yo. Not by a long shot. So. Okay, so the there's just a few little bits and pieces that kind of play out, but it's really I mean it really boils down to like the aftermath of this rescue attempt. Like we get Book and Rin back, um, and like you know, Rin goes goes to medical. I mean, they, they do like a little bit of triage, like first aid stuff on the on book ship. But then, you know, he actually goes and hangs out with um, uh, Doctor Pollard, right? If I'm not mistaken, in sick bay, and he's gonna make a full recovery. You know, not be worse for wear type of thing. And um, can, okay, <clears throat> I know that it's a lighthearted kind of thing, but. Dad gummit, dude. I was getting so annoyed with Linus. Oh my god, I was gonna say the same thing. It was funny when he showed up one time on the bridge, but like 
it, as a running gag, it was didn't didn't land for me. No, and I think he did it like maybe it was like three or four times maybe. Yeah, because you did once came to the bridge, once you came to engineering, and then once in the turbo lift. Yeah. Mm, no, like you're trying too hard, yo. Mm-hmm. You're trying. You're just trying too hard at that point, and. You know, that goes back to my, my argument at the beginning about, like, this tech. We got this shiny new tech, and, you know, of if course... You can't it, even, if you can't even figure out the personal transporter... <laughs> right? Right. I mean, seriously. Like, if you can't figure out how to get from, like, your room to the mess hall, or, you know, a corridor somewhere on the ship to the bridge... What's going to happen when it really counts? Like with all his other tech. So, yeah, like the the Linus thing, like I'm just over Linus. Yeah, me too. I'm just over him. Mm -hmm. Okay, like what's his job? That's a good question. What is his job? Is he like the chief comedy officer? Because like I, I, I don't know. Is he the morale officer? Does he have Neelix's hey, job? Hey, don't you dare <laughs> insult Neelix that way, my man. <laughs> no, but like, what's his job? I like, have no idea. Like, if he's like the if he's like down on the lower decks and he's the one that's like peeling the potatoes, cool. Go peel potatoes. Do a great job peeling potatoes. You know, working in the commissary and the kitchen and stuff like that. If your job is, you know, you're you know, in charge of, like, the warp core. You know, you're actually in engineering on Discovery, not the spore spore core, okay? If you're in the actual warp core of engineering, go do that. But I have no idea. Do we need a roll call for Linus to know what the we, devil we, he does? We do. We need another roll call. <sighs> anyway, I was just... That was one thing that just like kind of like was getting under my skin. I'm like, okay, it was funny the first time, but like the other two, three, however many times it ended up being, I'm like, nah, bro, you you need to stop. Yeah. You need to stop. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, I remembered what I was gonna say from earlier. Good, do it. And, and I think this is this leads into probably the last important thing to talk about is after Burnham gets back her and Saru go to talk to Admiral Vance and and Admiral Vance he gives this kind of scolding almost to Saru and he says like hey maybe I would have done this and he and then he tells Burnham um the only reason you're not in more trouble than you are now is because you saved lives and then he's like Burnham why don't you tell me exactly what I'm gonna say right now and I didn't like that I didn't like that because I wanted my Michael Burnham needs to be scolded more than she is. Like, don't treat this character. Don't let her off so easily. Like rip into her, like, like let her know that this behavior is completely unacceptable. And then after, after she lays out everything that, that Admiral Vance is going to tell her, um, then she says, but can I say something in response? And Admiral Vance like better be the best damn thing I've ever heard. But if I'm Admiral Vance, I'm like, when she says, can I say something in response? But like, no, no, you cannot say anything right now. I, n- no, 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 no. Lots I have heard no. enough from you. 
Right. And I, it's just like, tear into her more. Let her know that this behavior is unacceptable. Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. and then even even Saru doesn't even really lay into her all that much. Okay. Yeah, that was something that. Okay, I want to I want to pause on this because I want to talk about this in your, just a second. Um, and we're we're almost done anyways. Even talking about it. we're at the end for crying out loud. But like, there was that, and, but there was. Um, the bit in the elevator. We were just talking about Linus in the elevator. Or, I'm sorry, the turbo lift, my bad. That kiss was so cringeworthy for me. <laughs> like, okay. Like, kiss, fine. I mean, we've seen plenty of kissing all throughout Star Trek. All throughout Star Trek. But, like, seriously, they sat on that kiss for probably a few seconds too long. Like with all the panning and the tight shots. And I'm like, okay, we get it. Michael Burnham's kissing someone. But like, it was just, it was just too much. And I was like, I, I, I had to look away. I just had to look away. I was like, I, I can't, I, I just can't right now. My level of can't is, is up here right now. <sighs> I know like I complained. Okay. Look, I am an, an equal opportunity uh, cringer, okay? Like, I cringed with, um, who was it, Adira and Gray, and I cringed with Book and Michael Burnham, okay? I'm an equal opportunity cringer. Cringe away. I could not stand that. Like... Mm. It, mm. Like I saw it coming a mile away. I'm like, okay, y'all are gonna kiss. That's fine. Just do what you got to do. But like, really? Like, I think I clocked it like at eight seconds, maybe ten seconds wow. of that. That's pretty. That's pretty long. And like, good night, people. Okay, we got a human Michael Burnham. We do. She's not as Vulcany. Praise God for that. you know when i like okay you know when i like michael burnham i like michael burnham when she sounds real and not this self-righteous smug person sounding thing that she does that that's what her character is though do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you can tell the difference between her two voices, right? Oh, why is she whispering all the time? No one else around her is whispering. You know, my dad would always complain about that with um, Jack Bauer in 24. Why, is, why does everyone whisper in 24? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jack Bauer is like top five all-time favorite TV characters. <laughs> I love me some Jack Bauer, man. Oh, Jack Bauer finally got to be president and designated survivor. That he did. That he did. The first two seasons were better than the last season. Third season, meh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Welcome back to Star Trek. Yeah, like, I I get what you're talking about with Michael. Just too cringe, man. Just too much. Like, just, mm, 
Like, did we have to have like that many frames dedicated to them making out? I'm probably about to take some people off with like all these things I'm saying, but I don't really care because like PDA, man. Come on, man. But it was it wasn't PDA. They were in private in the turbo lift. Whatever. I was there in, in the turbo lift with them. <laughs> Dad gummit. Fourth wall my butt. Alright. Eric, have you this is this is a we're not done with Vance and Burnham no, that's what and I'm, Saru. Okay. No, right. I was about to go there. Okay, sure. Okay. This is a very personal question, and I'll I'll answer it first. But have you ever been fired or laid off from a job? No, I have not. Okay, I have. Okay. Uh, not much, but I have. And when you're let go, you know, I don't know anyone that says, that tells their, their now former employer, you're doing the right thing. Well, well, listen, I would say that here, here's, Saru was that, so when Saru is relieving her of, of, um, her first officer. He's not relieving her of like all of her duties. He's saying you're no longer my first officer, but you're still going to be the chief science officer on board the ship. And and he says, in my own defense, you were ambivalent about even taking this job in the first place, and maybe I should have been more cognizant of that when I gave you the job, and maybe I shouldn't have given it to you in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I like how Saru is really reflecting on some of his own failings here. Mm -hmm. And and Saru is definitely making the right choice, and, and I think Michael actually being aware of that is actually a positive for me. Right? Saru does have self-awareness going on with this, and that's a good thing. Um, but you can tell that it's eating him up. It's like, you know, obviously Saru cares about Michael. I mean, like, they've known each other since the Shenzhou. They've and been through a lot they've been Yeah, they've been through a lot together, the, the highs and lows of their relationship. And it's hurting him to do and say what he's doing and saying. But, you know, I know Saru is coming into his own as a captain. But it's almost as if, like, all the characters have to, like, kind of reassure him that what he's doing is the right thing type of thing. Like, or if not reassuring, questioning him. And, like, we see that, like, with, with Philippa in almost every episode that they're in together. I mean, this episode with with uh, Tilly and stuff, and of course Michael Burnham every single chance they get with her, and I don't know, like I don't know. That just it just I can I understand what you're saying and I can appreciate what you're saying. It just I didn't like how it landed with my my experience. It just like oh, just be quiet, lady. Be quiet. You didn't need to say that. Yeah. You didn't need to say anything. And if she didn't say a single word in any of this discussion between the three of them, like, that would have been perfect. Mm-hmm. 
Do you think this is the thing that I was thinking? She has a duty, essentially, right? Like to to Starfleet. I mean, she's a Starfleet officer. She's got this duty. And she's had this year of being away. Do you think she's trying to self-sabotage so that she has an excuse to not be in Starfleet anymore? I I have thought that, yes. And I think that, that we've seen some conversations between her and Georgiou that are kind of pointing to that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you've tasted freedom and... Yeah. And being able to, you know, be your own boss and do what you want to do when you want to do it instead of having to be bound by structure and responsibility. Yeah. But, but like, Michael Burnham says at one point, she says, the Federation can't stabilize until we can't stabilize, can't return to what it was until we figure out the cause of the burn. And I'm like, you know, woman, you know what would help the Federation stabilize? If you behave like a Starfleet officer and you respected the chain of command and you followed the chain of command, mm-hmm. like maybe that's the f- first step that you need to follow. And I feel like Saru has told her this several times. Oh, yeah. In these past two episodes, he's like, there's a command structure here that we have to follow. And you're not helping. You're not, you're not. You're just a detriment to me at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that, like this, like these last what is it, like five, ten minutes maybe, with like the Vance and Saru kind of interaction going on. Um, like, I didn't like that. I didn't like how it played out. I mean, it was pretty good acting, but I just didn't like how it played out. Um, and I don't want this to be a complete like craptastic conversation about like this part but like one thing I want to like back up to is with Rin you know with this Andorian coming on board and him being different from the Andorians or seemingly right seemingly being different from the the Andorians at this time period we I, I don't the Andorians are not members of the Federation presently from what what we're gathering with the Emerald Chain and stuff like that I'm hoping that Rin can be um, like the olive branch to the Andorians and that they can be, you know, part of the Federation again, that he can be like the model of his species um, to bring them back into the fold. I, I'm 100% not saying this because of Noah, you know, and him following us. I'm really not. I really did like Rin um, on this episode. Um, he was one of the more enjoyable aspects from like the different times that we saw him. So I, I genuinely want to see more of him, whether this this actor does stuff with our show or not. I genuinely want to see more of him. I, I thought, um, I think the Andor- I mean the the Andorians are are part of the history. They're a founding member. They're of a the Federation. Fa- yeah, exactly. They are a founding member of the Federation, along with Vulcans and Tellarites. I mean, I'm. I'm I mean, we've seen glimpses of Tellarites, I think, so far. Um, so <clears throat> it'd be great to be able to get founding members back in the fold and have like that kind of healing taking place, whatever happened over 900 years. Anyway. So so I, I remembered what I was going to say from earlier, and it has to do with this discussion with Vance and Saru and Burnham here. Mm-hmm. 
So Burnham basically takes it upon herself to do her cowboy diplomacy thing, right? Take her take her risks, the command structure be damned, right? I mean, isn't that exactly what um, Kirk did in the Kelvin movies? Like, screw the chain of command, I'm just going to do what I want. And he was rewarded for it, basically, by mm-hmm. being given the captaincy of the Enterprise. Yeah, he went from being a cadet to going straight to being I a mean, captain. What's the difference between what Kirk did there and what Burnham does here? Burnham should know better. Burnham should know better. That's a good point. Okay. So, a co- another example. Um, there's the episode in Deep Space Nine where um, it's called Shikar, right? Where we first meet First Minister Shikar. He's not First Minister yet. Um, but basically, Kai Wynn comes to um, uh, Kira, Norris, and is like, go talk to this guy, Shikar, because we need him to give back these industrial replicators or farming equipment to move somewhere else and basically he says no and then Kaiwin orders Shikar arrested and then basically Kira is all pissed because she hates Kaiwin because she's been called my child one too many times <laughs> and and basically Kira leaves all of her duties behind on 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 Deep Space Nine and basically goes on the run with these people who are now fugitives and there's this scene where Cisco says, I haven't spoken to, to Major Kira in over a week. So, like, she's been gone a long time, like, basically as a, a fugitive. Mm-hmm. But then she is welcomed right back into the fold after what happens. So, like, what's different between what Major Kira did there and what Burnham does here? Um, this might not be an, the the greatest rationale, but just stay stay with me on this one. So, Deep Space Nine, we know that Bajor has been under the um, the the iron fist of Cardassia and the Cardassians, and everything has been destroyed, and now the Federation has essentially taken over uh, Terraknor, which they've renamed Deep Space Nine, and which is right next to Bajor in this stable wormhole we find out. And Kira and a lot of Bajorans, maybe not a lot, but a good many Bajorans, kind of maybe see Starfleet in maybe the same way that they did the Cardassians. Like, it's just same ruler, different name, basically. Kira is tapped to be this liaison between the Bajoran provisional government and Starfleet. So she's not directly part of the chain of command, but she plays a role. So you might have to do a little gymnastics on this one, Eric, and and it's not solid. Okay, I'm not saying that this is a solid argument, but maybe the reason it's more okay for Kira to do something like that is she's not Starfleet. Yes, she's part. She's part of the Bajoran gov- provisional government, 
in trying to create a new Bajor. If she were straight up Starfleet, totally different argument because she would be bound by Starfleet stuff. And, um, and I think that's, I think that's the thing that's different with, with Kira and Michael Burnham. What do you think about that? No, I, I think that's a fair argument. Like, I don't have a good answer to the question that I'm asking. Like, I've been, this is what, like, the thing that I have been thinking about since, uh, since I was, first saw this episode is we've seen other officers essentially go rogue at points and they've been, they've been scolded, but welcome back into the fold. Mm-hmm. And I think, and that's, and that's like the, the blessing and the curse of what, of the storytelling that we do in Star Trek is that we always see people as doing better and becoming better than they actually are. But when do you actually learn from it? Like Barkley, like let's look at Barkley, like Barkley for crying out loud was a total like doofus. He was a genius. He was like stupid smart, like with engineering. But he had his own hangups and he didn't overcome them a hundred percent, but he grew. Mm-hmm. Okay. And to be fair to Michael Burnham, she's grown small growth, not, I not, mean, not leaps and bounds growth, but she's I, grown. I feel, I feel like her behavior in this episode is absolutely identical to her behavior in season one, episode one. It's, I don't think, I don't see any difference. And that's, and that's, and this is what, where I was about to go. She's had growth, but this episode has essentially reset everything because she's, it's not mutiny, right? But like, it's, it's this cavalier regard for the chain of command. It's, it's cavalier regard for your, your role, your responsibilities as a Starfleet officer, as a commander, as a commander, you are one rank away from being a captain. How do you get to be a commander? without having drank the Starfleet Kool-Aid. It's that one year away that did it. It reset her entire character. I don't feel like I've changed that much in a year. But. No, no. I like, like that's we, I, we keep making this joke. Like, it's been a year, the longest year ever. <laughs> it's only been a year. That's really not that long to, like, fundamentally change your whole worldview. True story. True story. All right. So, so I guess I guess one one question is: Do you see Michael Burnham regaining her role as first officer by the end of this season, or not? I think it would be a mistake if she did. I think it would be a mistake if she did, but I don't think the writers. I don't think they can. I don't think the writers have shown any ability to not make Michael Burnham the hero of our story and by making her the hero of our story i think the in universe she will be redeemed and you know at the end of season one she was regranted her commission with full full rank back and i think the same thing is going to happen here at the end of this season she's going to save the day and they're just going to forgive everything that happened which not, i think is a mistake not only did she get her rank back but she got the medal of honor like the whole crew got like you've been a mutineer you got a life sentence Mm -hmm. you know maybe just getting your commission back would have been enough instead of like the medal of honor 
You know, like, yeah, maybe the rest of the crew maybe deserved it, perhaps. Like, there could be an argument for, like, the rest of the crew, but maybe, like, you just need your... If you're, if anyone's going to get any, anything back, like, if Michael Burns going to get anything, it should be her rank back, as opposed to, like, a Medal of Honor. That doesn't make sense to me, because she was just a, a, a crew member. Yeah. I mean, she didn't have an active commission. She wasn't even enlisted. I mean, she was junior to a cadet. Yeah, she was given the rank of specialist, which is essentially like a colonel. We're not a colonel, a uh, corporal, excuse me. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So so who becomes the new first officer in the intern? You know what I'm I'm nervous about with this with the relationship that we're seeing on screen, I'm nervous that Tilly's going to be. Yeah, that that like that would be a mistake. I think I think the, the the correct choice would be this Lieutenant Nielsen. Because even though I'm not sure what her job is, we we see in the last episode when they first got to Starfleet and mm-hmm. Saru and Burnham and, and Adira left to go to Starfleet CNC, he said, Lieutenant Nielsen, you have the con. And then we saw in this episode at when they're on the bridge and they're exploring all the new technology um, and they get the, the hail from outside the Federation bubble. We see Lieutenant Nilsson is the person running the bridge and there's mm-hmm. like, Lieutenant Nilsson, someone's hailing us. And she's like, oh, put it on screen. And, and she's like basically in charge when um, Saru and Burnham are not on board the ship. So I think she's probably the correct choice even though she's only a lieutenant she could be promoted to lieutenant commander and have the first officer duties um but i i would like to explore this character more at least learn more about her Mm -hmm. i think they're giving her a bigger role in this season than she's had before right she's more than just you know window dressing like Mm -hmm. i mean she hasn't spoken much but we're definitely seeing her more in these first five, six episodes than we had, you know, in the second season. So, so that's that's a good thing. Um, I, I mean, I think the, the a better answer would have been Commander Nan because she's a commander and you put Rachel and Cheryl in the opening credits. Like, that would have been a good choice. I'm wondering if, if they're going to go get her and be like, hey, by the way, since you've been captain of the seed ship. How about you be my number one? <laughs> <laughs> right? I think that would be that would be too quick to bring her back. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah. But I was thinking, do you think do you think Stamets stands a chance of being first officer? See, I, Stamets is not I mean, I know he holds the rank of lieutenant commander. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't he's not like in the com- the traditional command structure because He's just like the chief spore hub guy, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And we saw in season one, he was like, you know, he only joined Starfleet because that was how he could do do his research. Right. He didn't have there was no Daystrom Institute yet. Right. So like, I don't see, I don't see Reno doing it. I, I definitely don't see Culber doing it. I think it'd be weird if Culber ended up being first officer. Yeah, that'd be weird. Um, I mean, you could do like something like a Wusakun. I was the the operations officer. Data was the third in command as the operations officer. But that's the thing. Like, we don't know who 
I mean, we we knew for a hot second who the first officer was. Now we don't have one. We didn't know who the second officer was. So it would make sense that second officer would automatically become first officer. Mm-hmm. Unless we have like a, a Riker Shelby kind of situation going on. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Like I I, I was thinking like a Wusakun or um, or Detmer, maybe maybe more a Wusakun than Detmer. Um, Especially with all the issues that Detmer is trying to work through right now. Yeah, yeah, and I don't want them to wave a magic wand and it be fixed. Like, no. not this although, season. Although the last two episodes, they've kind of, you know, haven't really touched on that. Right. It's still there because, like, even with her, like, with the, the uh, programmable matter with her console, she did seem kind of apprehensive about using that, you know, and kind of what she's been through. Like I saw that kind of coming through in her, in her portrayal or in, in her, her scenes, I should say. But I think, I think you make a good point. I think Lieutenant Nielsen's probably going to be the one that probably stands the best chance of being it. But again, it's discovery. We could be caught completely off guard. Grudge. Or, or Grudge will probably Ad- be first officer. Admiral Vance could, could probably take somebody that we don't even know and install them as first officer. Maybe it's the Cardassian. Maybe it's maybe it's, it's somebody from like the tw- the thirty first century instead of somebody from the Discovery crew. Maybe it's Robo Picard. <laughs> <laughs> Picard's still alive. <laughs> you like that? No. Uh, I just rolled my eyes so hard. Hard eye roll. Hard eye roll. Oh, good grief! All right. Well, I think we've talked this episode to death. Um, let's get into the part where we rate this. So, um, per the huge, we're at the part where we rate this episode of Star Trek Discovery, where from a between a one and a ten, one being a dumpster fire, ten being absolutely amazing. And uh, with that, let's hear it. What do you got, man? Well, well, if you look at the credits for this episode, it was written by the person who wrote it. Um, I. Her name is escaping me. But if you look at her writing credits, this is actually kind of impressive. She she wrote like five or six episodes of Battlestar Galactica, including Pegasus and Resurrection Ship, which if you've seen Battlestar Galactica, those, those are good. two fantastic episodes. Mm-hmm. She wrote two episodes of The Boys in season one, including the season one finale of The Boys, Ooh. which is probably the best episode of The Boys. That was a good episode. Yeah, so like she's got some impressive writing jobs, but this episode, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> and then if you look at the director of this episode, I cannot pronounce this last name. It's Aaron Yoski. Uh, yeah. Aaron... Douglas Erniakoski. Yeah. Anyway, if you look at his writing credits, he directed Nepenthe from Star Trek Picard, which yeah. if you you listen to us recap that, we were both very high on Nepenthe. Oh, yes. Love and me some Nepenthe. He, and then he directed The Sound of Thunder from Discovery, which was the episode where they went back to Kaminar in season two. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in, impressive directing, but like this episode, uh-uh. <laughs> it's like what happened? You had some talented people who definitely, if you look at their resumes, there's some impressive stuff there. But 
whoo, this episode did not work for me. Like, at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm watching this episode now and I'm just like, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. Like, <sighs> it, like, every every everything that we've built over the course of two plus two and a half seasons now with michael burnham i feel like we just hit the reset button on all of that mm-hmm. and and we're back where we started and then i feel like we're back to the michael burnham show after maybe trying to move ourselves away from that mm-hmm. and i feel like all of this potential that we've had you know, like moving to the future and being able to reset this storyline, I feel like like this episode basically wasted all of that potential, and it just it does not work for me. This is this is one of the worst episodes of all of Discovery. Period. Like all three seasons here, this is really bad stuff in my mm-hmm. opinion. Mm-hmm. This I'm I'm gonna give this a five. Whoa. Yeah, this is not good. Uh, you, you said a solid five? A solid 5.0. This is not wow. a good episode. Wow. I, no. Okay. There's nothing Star Trek about this episode as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Okay. So, for me, Eric, I didn't like this episode either. And you and I, we, we don't talk about stuff, you know, pre-show. But... The only thing that you and I did, like we did like a thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. And we both went thumbs down. We both went thumbs down, but we don't we didn't know the extent of our thumbs down. So I had no I I legit had no idea that you were gonna give it a five, and that's totally fine. Um, that you're giving it that. For me, I think this there were some there were some decent moments there weren't great moments but there were some pretty decent moments sprinkled in but the rest of it not so much I think maybe like Nemesis there's a good story in there somewhere Uh, it just it felt very disjointed with the storytelling I mean it was just so front loaded and then it was like okay let's play catch up in the last 15 minutes and maybe I'm being hypercritical I don't know um, again I liked seeing a different Andorian for once you know not this emerald chain um, it took me back to the Andorians for the most part I mean like the Andorians are kind of just like what are you going to do like we have like Shran for example who's like probably the, one of the more popular ones for reasons because we saw him so much in Enterprise um, so like but even then that was like pre- UFP, right? Like when we were still like fleshing out our relationship with them. But like you, like this was just too much of a season one Michael Burnham. And I was not cool with that at all. And I talked almost ad nauseum about the the cringy kiss, not digging that at all. Um, so for me, I thought I was going to give a low rating, honestly. Um, for me, I'm giving this a six and a quarter. I did not like this episode. Yeah, like, I didn't work for me. Like, the just wasn't constructed well. Storytelling wise, it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. 
and the whole like telling your boss you did the right thing I just I didn't like that either I just didn't like that she even said a word in that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but I, if I'm the boss in that, I'm like, no, I'm talking. You shut up right now. Right. Right. <sighs> okay. Well, that's it. That's it for today with um, with Scavengers, episode six of season three of Discovery. Next week, um, as we talk about this, we are in for an interesting potential episode right with um unification part three yep. and, and it's a direct tie-in to the two-part episode we got in season five of the next generation mm-hmm. so for all y'all listening um especially for anyone listening that might be a new fan to just star trek in general i would encourage you to perhaps at least go check out those episodes on whatever streaming platform or whatever method of viewing you choose um you got cbs all access absolutely it's right there so um go i'd encourage you to at least check that out that might i have no idea what's going to happen eric doesn't but i think maybe viewing unification one and two might guide us in having some more clarity as to what could potentially or hopefully potentially happen in this unification part three so there we go um Anyways, what did y'all think? What did y'all think of this episode? Did y'all do y'all agree with our rating? Do you give it higher? Do you give it lower uh, ranking? Um, was this your favorite one? I don't know. What'd you think of of seeing a Cardassian um, there for like a split second in the beginning, and and also um, seeing the development or yeah the development the relationship whatever between Michael Burnham and um, uh, Philippa. Uh, let us know. Send us a note. Get in contact with us. Let us know. Um, Eric and I will be back eventually to talk about more Trek. And um, David um, wasn't able to join us. He had some stuff that he had to take care of, obviously, uh, since he didn't record with us today. But he will. Um, he should be back uh, to join in the conversation as we um, kick back into gear with Unification Part 3 next week. And uh, that will be coming out, um, you know, following thanksgiving so if you're listening to this i hope you um have an enjoyable thanksgiving or that you did depending on when you listen to this and uh don't you know have a turkey coma if you can help it if you're here in the the united states i'm planning on smoking a turkey so it's going to be tasty because i'm in texas and we like to smoke meats and stuff anyway eric thank you again for joining me being a good sport with this And um, I will see you again next time. Now, if you folks want to get in contact with us, make sure you check us out at trtvpod.com. There are ways to get in contact with us there through our Hailing Frequencies page. And you can just learn more about the show and listen to episodes and just get in contact with us there. But you can also send us an email directly to trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. Remember, there's a three-minute time limit, and your comments may be used on a future episode of Engage. Um, now, finally, if you do want to mail us something like um, scissors for us to go running around with, like you want to see us running with scissors like Weird Al did, um, or, you know, a Guitar Hero, you know, toy guitar, you can do that, or a letter, whatever works for you. 
You can do that by making sure it gets to the Lone Star Station, P.O. Box 2455, Azel, Texas, 76098. Y'all, again, thank you for listening to us and joining us on this um, episode of Discovery as we try not scavenge too much. And as we leave here today, maybe remember to always boldly go and make it so.